Well, I had the, the opportunity, our, our friend Daryl Arnold over at Overcoming Believers uh, Church turned 51 today, and so I got to go over to uh, uh, preach for his birthday party, and they're still mostly live stream. There are a few people in, in the room, and uh, now they, uh, but they did have this wonderful gospel band, and I began to, uh, you know, kind of just kind of do what you do with a gospel band, and and sat down, and then when I got up to preach, I almost fell over because I pulled a muscle, <laughs> and I realized I hadn't done anything like that since the last time I was OBC. So, the, if you're going to go do gospel, just kind of stretch a little bit, a little yoga, a little calories, and you'll be okay. So, now, Christians, by and large, are nice people most of the time, and so uh, a dear friend came to me and said, um, how much longer are we going to be in Acts 15? Um, and I know what he's trying to say, and what he's trying to say is, let's move on, I'm getting a little bored here. And so I promise you we will finish uh, the Council of Jerusalem tonight. And I, I, I did think, why, why have I felt led by the Spirit to linger on this passage, which I, which I have? And I've just sensed that there were some things in here that maybe we needed to listen to um, just at this time in our church life and maybe in the broader church life uh, around us. And as I reflected on this big chunk that talks about the rest of the council and about how they resolve the issue, and James stands up and says, you know, I, I think the gospel is clear that it's faith in Christ alone, and we're going to ask you to do just a couple of things to, to limit your freedom so you don't offend your brothers, and, and they kind of move through this great crisis. The, the, the part of it that has really struck me as I read it over and over again, and that's how I prepare, I just read and then kind of practice Lectio, where you see which part of the passage comes alive, was the prophecy in 16 and 17. And I want to read it again. James is standing up now, and everybody's concerned whether or not the Gentiles should be allowed in and, and whether or not they had to keep the law. And James says, actually, this is a fulfillment of a prophecy from Amos. And he, he reads it to them. And uh, I'm going to read it again uh, just because it really is kind of the center of the argument in the passage. And it's there in verses 16 and 17. He says, after this I will return, God is speaking, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Now, he is saying that this prophecy applies to what's happening in this passage, that this is what we see going on in the passage. And, and there's three parts to the prophecy, and I just wanted to think about it with us a little bit tonight. First of all, the prophecy says that the tent of David is fallen and is in ruins. Now, the tent of David, of course, is the, it's a metaphor for the family of David, for Israel. And he says, it's fallen down, and Israel is in ruins. The people of God are in ruins. Of course, the prophecy was uttered during the exile. 
But James is applying it to his situation today. And he's saying, you know, brothers and sisters, probably more brothers at that point, he's saying, you know, things haven't been going well for a long time. The house of David's in ruins. Look around you. We've been praying that God would do something, and he's doing it, but acknowledge the way we've been following the law isn't working. The tent of David has fallen. The people of God are in ruins. Now, as I thought about that, and I I thought about our situation today, I believe that in one sense, not all senses, I believe that in one sense, the church in America is in ruins. Not every sense. I think there's many wonderful things about the church. But I just thought I'd share a little bit about what I'm kind of sensing and feeling. And it's fine if you see it differently. But this is what keeps coming up to me as we uh, work on this passage. And two dates come to mind. Um, October 11th, 2020. Is the first one I was driving back from pod uh, from podcasts. <laughs> I was driving back from vacation, and I was listening to a podcast series on racial justice, and it was really good. And I was learning a lot of things, and really appreciated the perspectives and the guests. But the more I listened, and I I had a long drive home, and I just kept listening to one after another. The more I listened, I just kept feeling like something wasn't quite right, or something was missing, and. Uh, even though I, I was really learning a lot. And uh, one of the, the speakers said, I, and I'm paraphrasing, I didn't go back and look it up, said, you know, I just don't really believe in sin anymore. Uh, I don't really focus on that, at least in a personal sense. And uh, I just am really focused on justice in the world. And when I heard that, I remembered a famous quote from a theologian named Richard Niebuhr, He was criticizing the church of his day, and he said, A God without wrath brought man without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. And so one of the things that troubles me as I look out at the church is I feel that on the left, we are moving so far into social justice that sometimes the cross is left behind, that sometimes creedal orthodoxy is left behind. Don't get me wrong, I care about social justice, you know that. But I feel that on the left, the tent is falling down, and we're leaving creedal orthodoxy. The other date is January 6, 2021. People carrying crosses and singing hymns, rushing the Capitol, also carrying swastikas and Civil War flags, Embracing the false gospel of Christian nationalism. And that day troubled me deeply as well. Uh, I felt that on both sides, the church has gotten so wrapped up in ideologies that are not a part of the gospel message and gotten confused and lost her way. And my fear is that we've gotten so swept up in powerful cultural moments, even to the point of identifying them with the advancement of the kingdom of God, uh, I I fear that if that continues, it will leave us in ruins. Just as the German churches dance with National Socialism, uh, 
left her in ruins in the early 20th century. I read an editorial yesterday uh, by a writer who posed the question, is the greatest threat to the church from within or without? And it's an interesting question to think about. Is the greatest threat to the church from within or without? And uh, I understand there's a lot of threats to the church always um, from all, lots of places. But personally, I think the greatest threat to the church is from within. Uh, I'm less worried about Biden's policies or Trump's policies and how they affect the church than I am about the church itself. I fear that we are worshiping idols of social justice or Christian nationalism. Uh, not to say that we shouldn't love our country. I think we should. Not to say that we shouldn't pursue social justice. I think we should. But I worry that we have moved off track. The other thing that worries me is I don't think we've learned how to do spiritual formation in a secular age. Uh, sometimes I feel like we are uh, handing out eight tracks to a TikTok generation. Uh, and that we don't, we don't have the spiritual depth to withstand the pressures of the culture around us. And so we're formed by the spirit of the age instead. So, what happens next in this prophecy? Well, God promises to restore the fallen tent of David. He promises to restore the fallen tent of David. And I think that's a, a really important. And when I say that I feel like there's a sense in which the American church is in ruins, I actually think that's good news. Because I think sometimes things have to come to pass and to die in order for them to be reborn. And I personally think that's what's happening in the church today. Now, uh, there are three marks of this restored people in this passage as James describes what's happening. The first is this people that he's describing has an awareness of the presence of of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when they're trying to decide whether or not God is in this new people that's being formed, verse 8 and 9, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. And then verse 12, after the assembly falls silent, Barnabas and Paul relate what signs and wonders God has done through them among the Gentiles. So this is a community, a new community that's marked by the presence and the power of the Spirit. It reminds me of uh, a verse in Exodus, um, verse 32, where Moses has just come back to a people who have abandoned God and made a, an idol. And God has said, I'm not going to go with you into the promised land. And then Moses offers a prayer and says, Oh God, please go with us. Verse 14, and God says, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people? from every other people on the face of the earth. The thing that makes us distinct 
is the presence of the Spirit. And that's the kind of community James is describing in this passage in Acts 15. The second mark of this uh, restored community is a shared commitment to a simple gospel creed. Look again in verse 15 or verse 11. Peter summarizes the gospel like this. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Now, that was a simple phrase that was circulating around the church at that point that summarized the gospel. Uh, Later, we call these creeds. You see them in about five other places in the New Testament. Shortly after this, the Apostles' Creed will be developed, then the Nicene Creed. They're simple ways to affirm the core of the gospel. And so James stands up in this community. He says, I know we disagree violently, but we can all come together around this simple creed that salvation is through Christ, by grace, through faith. There's a third mark of this restored people, and we'll call it a gentle respect for those who disagree. Look at verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. Well, what is he talking about there? Well, um, in those days, the house churches had both Jews and Gentiles, and they ate dinners together. And the Jews had very strict uh, requirements about what they could and could not eat. And so, Uh, James is saying, as you all fellowship together, Gentiles, I want you to limit your freedom to eat anything you want, and I want you to honor those who have scruples over these things so that you can all be be one together. That's the one thing that we ask you to do. Just limit your freedom so you don't offend your brother. Just gently respect the difference and, and go without those things so you don't offend your brother. And Paul develops that whole argument in Romans 14 to 15. And and I I think that is a beautiful way for a theologically and politically diverse church to love one another, is that we, we come together in a community marked by the presence of the Spirit, we affirm a simple creed, and then in the areas in which we disagree, we just gently and humbly defer to one another and love one another and limit our freedoms when exercising those freedoms might offend someone in any, in any common way. Well, one winter Thursday night, and I, I, we were here, and it was very cold, and not a lot of people were here. And one of the things that I was thinking about, even I remember that night, was what kind of church community will actually draw this remnant who fears the Lord? Because that's the third part of the prophecy. A remnant seeks the Lord. I've been having lunch with our neighbors around our building and uh, trying to get to know a little more about the community. And I, I met with uh, Reverend Jimmy Sherrod at Central United Methodist. And he, um, and I said, tell me about the neighborhood. And he said, well, you know, most of the people in my neighborhood aren't very religious. You need to understand that. Uh, most of the people who live in my neighborhood, they're not really looking for vacation Bible school or something like that. Matter of fact, 
they might think you're part of the problem. Uh, this is not a church growth strategy, he's basically saying, of putting a church where we're moving it. And so I keep asking this question, what kind of faith community could we be so that the remnant of our neighbors that are interested in pursuing the Lord might come and find him or start a journey that would lead to him? And I think these, uh, these three things, this idea of a spirit marked by the presence of God that just comes through worship and beauty and prayer, uh, a community that just holds to a simple creed and acknowledges diversity, and then a community that is gentle and respectful in areas that disagree. Perhaps the, that's the kind of community where someone might say, that's a place where I can pursue Christ. Back to that story, and then I'll end. The lady stood back there kind of in the grass uh, all night, never really came in and sat down. And afterwards, I went over to her, and, and she said, I'm in graduate school. Uh, I've, I've had this desire to pursue God. I've had a really bad experience with the church. I'm not even really ready to come in past that table, but this is just what I needed tonight. Please keep doing this. And I hope that's the kind of church uh, that we can be. So let's pray. Lord, I may just be praying for myself tonight, but there are parts of the American church that just seem deeply broken. And our witness in our culture seems to be shattered in so many ways. And for so many of our neighbors, we're not the good news, we're the bad news. And they don't hear hope, they hear anger and shame. And so, Lord, to the degree that we're a part of that, we just lament it. We don't want that to be the case. You've been good news to us. And we ask that you'd restore us. We ask that you'd mark us by the presence of your Spirit. You'd help us to hold to a simple creed. You'd help us to love and respect one another gently, tenderly. And then would you draw a remnant to yourself through this little family? Could we be a place where our neighbors who maybe are interested in you but really frustrated with the church or hurt by the church, could we be that kind of community where people come in and pursue you? We ask this in your name. Amen.